0: welcome to the deep dive emerald city hockey's seattle kraken podcast rj we are days away like it's finally here is it finally starting to sink in that this is real as your schedule is like insanely busy now (laughs) and everybody's you know walking around with that strong mixture of stress and excitement
1: yeah, you can feel it in the air at KCI for sure, and I will feel it all day today uh, as I'm covering crack and practice and then and working out a few other things. It's it's going to be a long day, but happy it's here. The regular season is almost upon us. This is the last. Uh, deep Dive podcast before it starts. I am I am really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so uh, you obviously got a busy day, so we'll just go ahead and jump into things. Uh, we're going to start off recapping those last two preseason games. The first one against the Flames, and then the, the last game against the Oilers. Um, that Flames game, uh I guess best known for nobody really ever being able to find a consistent stream to try to watch it because it was not on ESPN+. Uh, so everybody kind of struggled with that. I basically was never really able to see anything from it outside of the highlight package. You saw a little bit of the end. Um, so we're probably not going to spend too much time on this, but there's a couple things that I want to talk about. One, I guess just the continued struggles against the Sutter system for the, for the Kraken. Still haven't figured that one out. Um, the other thing is the one for five on the power play. That's, Mm -hmm. that's not the way things were trending previously in the preseason. That's not exactly what I was hoping to see.
1: Exactly. And well, as far as the struggles with the Sutter system, I mean, you know, you've had some pretty good teams struggle with that, but it is something that's still a little concerning given that. Going back to last year and everything, the way this team was supposed to be built was to be able to hang in and steal games like that. Uh, so, you know, a little bit disconcerting there. Uh, and then the power play. Yeah, I mean, they, they did get the one goal on the power play, which is actually yeah. probably, I, I bet you their percentage in that game is probably better than their preseason as a whole before that. Um, but still, it's it's not ideally what you want. Um but, I mean, they, they did finally get that Matty one-timer to work.
0: Yeah, it worked that one time. Uh, I still don't like the whole... S- I, <laughs> that's know, what that means, I, right? Yeah, that's exactly. That's what one-timer means? Exactly. It's good for one time. Um, I, uh, I, I'm i still not convinced that that's the best way of handling the power play. I've made this well-known for a while now, uh, not just with the Kraken, but with several teams. I think, for me, the highlight about it, like, the thing that, that I zero in on as I look at... Um, the the box score and everything here is that guess who led the kraken in power play ice time by a whopping 37 seconds rj in that game
1: um it was veneers
0: it was andre burakovsky four four minutes and 37 seconds of power play ice time next most Bjorkstrand which I don't have a problem with. I think Bjorkstrand's great on the power play. But uh, interesting that Burakovsky would be out there for that much. Also in this game, Burakovsky leading the team with five shots. So maybe they were trying to get him going. Maybe he was trying to get himself going a little bit. Um, We've all kind of talked about, you know, you especially talking about from camp and stuff, right? Just he hasn't quite found that place yet. Doesn't look like he's totally comfortable yet. Hasn't gotten going. Seems like maybe that's what they were trying to do in this Calgary game.
1: And I don't really know that it that it worked entirely there. Um, and, and we'll get to this when we talk about the Oilers game too, because they made a change there on the power play. But I, I still haven't been thrilled with Burakovsky on that left side wall on the on the first unit. I think that's something that maybe the team saw as well. Again, we'll talk about that later. But in this game too, you notice they finally got that cross seam pass to Matty Veneers for that one-time goal, which is the look that yeah. they were looking for that whole time. And who does it? It's Alex Wenberg, who actually had rotated in uh, with Burakovsky. Burakovsky slid down net front, just that's kind of how the play went. Um, But someone finally gets that pass across to him, and it's not Burakovsky. So I I just think, again, looked a little bit out of place. I don't necessarily blame the player there. It's just you're trying to find a right fit uh, on that power play unit where he
0: works. Yeah, so um, those are are really the things, again, having not really seen anything about this game, that's the stuff that stood out to me. I think that that's one of those things you can glean from it. Anything else you want to talk about with this Flames game? Yeah, there's
1: one more thing, and it's uh, Martin Jones.
0: Mm-hmm. uh because he'd had a
1: fantastic preseason prior to this game and yes yeah. it's one game but it's one of those that um for those who you know may have seen him play in the past uh, kind of brought back some not so pleasant memories as far as tracking the puck from the point and and things like that where uh, a lot of shots from distance that, that maybe had a good chance of seeing too uh just went in as he didn't really move mm-hmm. um th- those are the kind of goals that that maybe you'll see from him sometime. So a little bit, you know, concerning there, but hopefully it's just an aberration. If he plays the way he did it in the preseason at large, the Kraken can handle one of those games every once in a while.
0: Yeah, I agree. Are you saying that, you know, we, we talked about the Kraken kind of being down uh three, nothing going into the third period, all on goals off defenseman. Are you saying that that's a situation teams generally don't want to find themselves in? Yeah, I'd, I'd say generally not. Um, <laughs> Oh man,
1: yeah. So it was it was one of those games, but yeah. just just worth pointing out since it was the the first one that we've seen uh, with him in a Kraken jersey.
0: Yeah, exactly. And again, preseason, I'm not you know, I'm not focused too much on it. The only other thing I guess you could say about that game weren't great in the faceoff dot either. Thirty one percent for the Kraken. So if I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, it was bad. So uh, a, a game to forget going into then the final preseason game the, against the Oilers in Edmonton. This game was all over the place. It was uh, a roller coaster of a game, which is fun. Unfortunately, the end result was not as fun as the Kraken end up losing five to three. Uh, in in that kind of final tune-up game where I did feel like we were seeing this felt like a regular season game I guess is what I'm working towards it felt like it really a regular did. season game from both teams um the Kraken did some amazing things like we're gonna definitely spend time talking about this but overall i I think we have to kind of talk about the the ending probably mm-hmm. first just because I think this is something that you know Kraken fans from last year are going to have kind of a feeling for it. Crack and fight back, only to not really able to, you know, finish that. Uh, certainly not get the win, but then not even get to force the, you know, the overtime or anything either. Um, it's just it was it was a rough one, and then of course you have the play from Gru. Yeah,
1: I mean, th- this is one of those games where it felt like there were a lot of moments straight out of last season, and, and I probably none of them more so than that unfortunate go-ahead goal for the Oilers, uh, where Philip Grubauer, he's just trying to clear the puck out of the zone, uh, but ends up shooting it directly into Leon Dreisaitl's leg, and, and it ends up right in the back of the net, and you, you know he wanted that one back, so I think it's worth mentioning, too. Grubauer had a fantastic game up to that point. He had had played excellent. He was dialed in. we had said it multiple times um, how great he was playing. And then all it takes is one mistake in a close game like that. Uh, And it's, it's, it can make a big difference. And so um, just unfortunate. It's again, it's the kind of like bounce that little thing that Mm -hmm. happened all too often last season. Um, And, and we'll talk about this, you know, as the, the next Oilers goal too, where it's like, okay you have to be able to at least keep the tie and get that point and get to overtime. That's what separates the non-playoff teams from the playoff teams. And it's something that they're going to keep having to work on this
0: season. Exactly. Um, I think you just said it best uh, as far as what separates those teams. Uh, Yeah, this was otherwise such a good game for the Kraken, right? Like they're shutting down uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. They do a really good job of of that all game certainly through that first period oh my gosh the pressure they were pouring on Edmonton just don't give them any clean breaks either into your zone or even out of their zone two men high up on the forecheck really pressuring like all of that stuff was so so fantastic I loved when they were in the offensive zone I have some stuff on the whiteboard gonna pull that out for the YouTube version of this podcast Um, about you know the defenseman coming down you know Drifting down lower into the offensive zone, condensing the play, really concentrating it into that slot area and everybody just kind of getting in there. And then you're able to score some, you know, messy rebound goals and stuff. I absolutely loved everything that the Kraken were doing. And then you give Edmonds in a power play right at the end of a period. And, it, and next thing you know, you're going into the locker room for that first time and you're tied. And it's just, again, it's one of those things when you're playing... Teams like this, like, like in Edmonton, the teams that are, well, everybody was above you in the standings, but the teams that are like, you know, above you on paper and stuff, you cannot make those mistakes. You cannot give them those opportunities. You cannot give them, you know, opportunities going into the locker room to steal momentum back. And, and sure enough, what do you know? You come out into the second period and the first five, almost to the 10 minute mark of that second period, all boilers. Right. The shot advantage that the Kraken had worked so hard to achieve, gone, wiped out instantly. It's just one of those things. This is this is I don't know. We're going to talk about it towards, you know, after we talk about the games and stuff towards the end of the podcast, kind of the stuff about captaincy. And are we going to see one of those this season? But this was one of those times where, again, it felt like last season where you were like, okay. is someone going to step up here and get everybody going in the right direction again? And you know what? Somebody did step up and do that for him.
1: Exactly. Um, Sometimes you need that, that little spark, uh, you know, to, to get things going. And of course uh, you know, a a big goal there, uh, you know, by Maddie Beniers in the second period. uh, I mean, Let's, let's go ahead and talk about that because I, yeah. I know you want to talk about kind of how that whole play developed uh, and, and what we really saw there. And, man, I have been eager, very eager to see this whiteboard again uh, make an appearance. So yeah. um, should I give you some time to draw?
0: Well, I was going to say, I have a different play lined up on the whiteboard. So let me, let me... let me... Oh, okay.
1: Well, here. The, 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 no, yeah. never mind then. Um, well, it all, it, plays
0: was... in, it all plays into the same thing. So I'll just, yeah, I'll just take over here for a sec, all right? Sorry, everybody. You're not going to hear RJ for a moment. Um, but... The, the thing I was talking about, and I had talked about this when we were talking about who should be on the power play, the first unit power play from the, you know, the back end spot. And I was saying I liked, we well, we both liked Schultz there over uh, Vince Dunn. And one of the things I mentioned about Schultz was the fact that he makes himself more of a threat on the power play by drifting lower into the zone. He, he, he makes himself a, sh- a shooting target. He gets more involved. He condenses everything, freaks out the PK, all of that stuff, just by you know, coming into the slot a little bit lower like that instead of hanging way back at the blue line. So this game was all about that with the Kraken. Both defensive, you know, pairings uh, or partners were doing that regularly five on five. And you could tell that it was it was causing a lot of chaos for the Oilers' defense to try to deal with and for their forwards on the back check trying to deal with because there's just less time and space to figure things out and to try to deal with stuff. There's just more bodies in the way, more sticks. People can you know, throw pucks on the net more. And one of the things that I thought was really cool was how they were using Will Borgen. And this is something you talked about on the power play from training camp and stuff, something that I wasn't able to see. And I think a lot of people weren't able to see just because we're not able to be there every day, but they had like basically plays designed for Will Borgen here. And I really, really love them. So this is... The Kraken in the offensive zone. All right. Ignore all the numbers except for three because that's Will Borgen. All right. Uh, <laughs> and I forgot dis- uh, Discord's going to flip everything. So I unfortunately, got to deal with the mirror situation. Bottom line is, though, they were taking a face off uh, over on the left side, left side dot. Uh, offensive zone face off, pretty standard. They win the play back. First thing that happens, Carson Susi dips over below the center. The moment the puck is dropped, he's going and he's behind center. Center wins the the puck straight back to Carson Susi. As this is happening, Borgen drifts way over to his normal spot and then immediately starts sprinting forward to be a shooting uh, target right, a, 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 an outlet for Susie to make a pass to someone who has time and space. Borgen is immediately coming down just inside the slot, just inside the face-off der- the circle, um, and they did this several times. And there were times where Susie would pass it to Borgen and Borgen could get a shot off. But the thing that really impressed me about it was that it didn't always have to happen because after that first time when Borgen got the shot off, the defense for Edmonton was constantly pulling over there. And they were sending two guys to cover Will Borgen, okay? Because he was just getting free looks at at a really good spot on the ice at uh, Jack Campbell. So now Edmonton has committed two people to cover Will Borgen, one of your defensemen. You now have a four-on-three advantage on on literally half of the offensive zone. That's absolutely incredible for the Kraken. You can certainly make things happen there. Um, The other thing was, Borgen, if he doesn't get the puck, right? Someone else gets the puck, they take a shot. His, his cert, his like, I guess route essentially is I'm going to come in. I either get the shot. I either get the puck and I get to take the shot here. Or what I do is I keep going. I go past the goaltender and I cycle back through the corner. And that became key because almost every time where he didn't get the shot, the puck was ending up either down around the net. And now you just have an extra big body there who can kind of bang around and try to get that shot. Uh, the rebound, or it was ending up behind the net and in the corner, in which case, guess what? Again, you have a big body, somebody who's used to board battles because he's a defenseman, down low on your fork check, and every single time he was able to help them win the puck battle and retain possession in that corner. Uh, And so Borgen, I I loved that face-off play. I I loved everything about how they were using Borgen. I thought it was interesting that only Borgen was doing it. Uh, this wasn't like a standardized thing for offensive zone faceoffs. Whoever's playing that right side on, on the defense does that. It was a specifically Borgen type thing, but it's one of those things where it was, we didn't see anything like that last year. Certainly we didn't see it from Borgen who barely got to play, but we didn't see plays, Dot, you know, really faceoff plays right like those that was one of the things that was missing for the Kraken last season was just designed plays off of a draw how are you going to attack a defense how are you going to make a defense do something to then open up space somewhere else and that was a perfect example of it and I'm just I'm so pumped to see that in in a real game and I'm so pumped for what maybe seven eight ten goals from Will Borgen pulling this off maybe throughout the course of the season yes will borgen offensive explosion season let's see it
1: um yeah no and he's he's been doing that. Like I have seen it too. in like training camp and practice too, where he's been pinching up Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I've been trying to talk to you about as far as why I think he's pretty much a lock in that top six and that that they have these plans for him. Um, And it's something that he's good at that. I I think we argued about this last season where I said like, he's actually, you know, kind of sneaky, good contributing offensively, pinching up to get those pucks because he just doesn't lose. And I was more referring, you know, to those like board battles you talked about with him cycling down, but he just doesn't lose those. Right. Um. You know, against an opposing defenseman, he's just, he can win those pretty consistently the way that he uses his body. Uh, and it's a valuable skill set to have really anywhere on the ice, but but in an in unexpected place there. Um, and, and thanks for kind of showing us that too, because it's one of the things where I noticed kind of just on the After Effects play, like, oh, look, Will Borgen's down there, you know, down low, but um, connecting the dots to see, okay, well, how did he end up down there? What's the plan? Um, I, I think that was really cool to see yeah I, you know what what they were going for there off those face-offs
0: yeah and again hopefully i, I described it okay for everybody everybody could understand and follow along again sorry we're using discord to do this call but with each other and it always mirrors the person like hosting which is me so that's just an unfortunate byproduct of everything um on the maddie goal because that that more uh exemplifies the overall like just the idea of both defensemen drifting down lower into the zone. Uh, I'm trying to trying to just double check everything here. So, what's what's interesting is when this when the play starts uh where like like the highlight if you go to watch it on nhl.com picks Picks up. Uh, this is basically what the Kraken have going in the offensive zone. It's it's kind of standard. It almost looks like a, a power play. You've got like four people kind of spread out in a box around the slot with one person back. Guess who that person back is? RJ.
1: That person back was uh, Maddie Beniers, wasn't it?
0: Yes, it is. Maddie Beniers is back at the blue line. So obviously we talked about <laughs> yes, what you have talked about. He loves to cycle back there and go to the blue line. But what you have is. They just the Kraken have just pushed the puck out from uh the corner, right? They've they've just won a puck battle, they've pushed the puck out from the corner, it comes back to Borgen, who's playing at like the top of the faceoff circle. There's lots of Borgen love today. Absolutely love it. Maddie's cycled all the way around. He's just trying to see the ice. He's he's looking to attack this defense wherever there's an opening, see what what kind of plays developing, and then he's gonna put himself in the right spot for it, okay, this is what smart players do, uh, and it's certainly what Matty Beniers has, has shown us in the NHL so far from him, so play gets one back to Will Borgen here, uh, by, I forget, uh, Burakovsky was up here, he won the face, he won the, the battle in the in the corner, Borgen takes the puck, obviously Edmonton's rushing towards him, they got three guys heading towards Borgen, so he immediately sends it across over here to uh, Susie, his, his D partner, who takes the puck, drifts lower, so he's almost, he's like kind of center with the faceoff dot. And then he sends it back cross-ice because now the Oilers are in full panic mode and they just look like a four-year-old soccer team where everybody's like just swarming to the puck. So, you know, Edmondson's got some stuff to work out there. Um, So everybody's immediate, all, you know, three or four guys are heading towards Susie. So he's able to send it cross-ice all the way to Burakovsky. Now, this play should work and it'll work most of the time. Burakovsky wide open, like right there in front of right to the side, somehow Burakovsky misses this. Even he, like, throws his head up. He has no idea how he misses this play. Uh, but Burakovsky misses the shot here. It forced, um, I forget the other forward on the ice at the time, but they came in. McCann? Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, it's all blurry because I have it paused mid-action. like action. But um, they it caused them to pull net front to be there for any sort of rebound, right? And so the two Edmonton defensemen are dealing with We think McCann there. Burakovsky misses the shot. It goes wide, bounces off the end board. This is where maddie I haven't talked about him, but yes, he starts the whole sequence off down at the blue line. But as soon as he sees the pass from Susie over to Burakovsky, he streaks down this way. Because he's like, okay, there's a complete opening over on this side of the net. So if anything happens, a rebound gets kicked over that 's probably where I should be, and sure enough it 's not exactly probably what he was thinking. oh Burkovsky's going to hit the post and it 's going to magically bounce off the end board and back out to that left side but that 's exactly what happens, and sure enough, Maddie is there he doesn 't have to deal with really any defenders on him uh there's one defenseman kind of there who works over towards him, but isn 't really fully aware of what 's happening because of how quick it 's all uh, occurring and so uh, I mean so Maddie's able to just bang the rebound home, but it 's it's all because he hung back, waited to see what the what the team was going to do, and then it was all because the the Kraken had an overall plan, and that plan was let's lower the defensemen, let's not give Edmonton time to reset after we win the the board battle back to a defenseman, let's get those defensemen lower in, make them dangerous. So that the Edmonton defense kind of has to panic a little. They don't really know what's going on. Let's get that fast puck movement. Again, try to beat out the defense. We want them to be reactive. We don't want them to try to plan or get set at all. And And that's all because the defensemen were lower. If those defensemen are back at the blue line, certainly if Maddie's also going to be back at the blue line, none, none of this play develops because Edmonton just is like, fine, keep it back there. We'll cover your two guys with all five of ours and nothing will happen. Um, but because those defensemen are activated, because they are lower in the zone, they're able to be part of the play and keep play moving and keep it all tight in this section so that Edmonton isn't ever able to get set. They're not able to communicate. They're not able to get a read on what's happening. And again, this is something that the Kraken kind of started to do a little bit towards the end of last season, but it's one of those things that, you know, I I just think that's such an extra level to their five-on-five offense, having those kinds of options. Again, having plays, we talked about this all last season. They never really felt like they had set plays and stuff. This feels like a set play. That felt like a set play to Burakovsky, who's supposed to make that (laughs) shot. But again, I think most of the time he's going to make that shot. And the great thing about this too is you can mirror it. Right. You can have that same exact set play, but just mirror it and have it go to the left side and have it go to Maddie or whoever's going to be over there instead of Burakovsky by having your defenseman low. You can just kind of work off of whichever board battle you're winning. And again, it's all just about time. Everything in sports. Right. It's all about time. And the and these athletes think so fast on their feet. Their brains are so amazing at that, that anytime you can give the other team less time, it's in your advantage. And and by having those defensemen lower and getting the puck faster and making plays with it that much faster, I mean, you're shaving probably a second and a half off by having Borgen that much, you know, playing at the top of the faceoff dot rather than back at the blue line, as far as him getting that puck and making his first move with it. That is That is so much time in professional sports and in the game of hockey uh, that, that you're not allowing the Edmonton Oilers in this case to have. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah,
1: agreed. And um, this is something we saw, you know, a little bit at the end of last season with the defensemen coming in and much better teams. You remember the, yeah. the roster the Kraken had. Super outmatched from a skill perspective. And on some nights, they looked better than they did before the trade deadline. And I think it's, it's because of what you pointed out, not allowing the opponent to have that time. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter you know, how skilled they are relative to you if they don't have the time to think about these things. If there is that kind of chaotic element where you're sending numbers at them that they can't deal with you're going to have that advantage if you play it right. You know, it, there's risks the other way as far as the putt coming back, but that's all things that if you plan right, you can deal with, which now that seems like they're having time to do that. Um, so it is great to see guys having a plan there. And, and uh, my my takeaway when kind of watching that Benier's goal was like, wow, the, the, um, the instincts and the vision to go jump in there and everything. Uh, but I think you really highlighted that it, it it stems from having a plan and having a set play there uh, that that brings in the environment where okay he can go make a read. Your smart players can go improvise mm-hmm. uh, and do what they feel they need to do. You know, as a part of that structure, almost. Um, so I, I get that great breakdown. This is really cool. I'm in, I'm having a great time here.
0: Yeah. No. I think you I think you touched on it good there. Yeah. It's not just about having that look for Burakovsky and a set play for Burakovsky. It is about giving a guy like Maddie who is really good at surveying the ice and then attacking the weak points of a defense. It also gives him time. And and that's exactly what ended up happening, right? The, the probably plan a didn't go Mm -hmm. as planned, right? Berkowski misses that shot, but Baneers was able to see everything and put himself in that situation to be plan B and, and come through for the Kraken. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I look forward to again. Shane Wright played, you know, solid again through all of these games. We're not seeing a ton of highlights and stuff from him, but Shane Wright again—he's a very smart player. He knows how to survey the ice. He can see things from back there. I think it's going to take him longer to develop offensively uh, than Matty Beniers did. But one day, it's not going to be far-fetched to think of you know those kinds of plays with Shane Wright doing the same thing too um so yeah i'm i'm really excited about about all of it it just to me it shows so much growth uh, from just a systems and structure standpoint that the Kraken did not have last year and was one of those reasons why the offense wasn't all that great last year. And so I'm I'm very, very hopeful. Uh, talked about I'm not a super big fan of what they've got going on on the power play right now, but this is one of the things that does give me hope for the power play because you know what, once the regular season gets going, if the power play isn't working, the Kraken have now shown that, look, we can be creative, we know how to set things up, we we know how to plan these things out now it makes me think that at some point if if at any point they run into issues with the power play they'll they'll be proactive about it and that's something that was i think just hard for them coming into that first season not having a lot of experience with the players and everything i really think they just wanted to let things just be last year and this year it seems like no we want to be we want to be good like we want to attack mm-hmm. the other team that's how we're going to win hockey games and i can't wait for it
1: and it started in the Oilers game, too, because it showed their willingness to move guys around. And yep. uh, we mentioned we talk about this uh, when we were on the Flames game. But Andre Burakovsky had all that power play ice time in, in the Flames game. Not much really came of it as far as contributions from him looked awkward on that left side. And then finally, in the Oilers game, they're like, all right, let's try something different. And they moved Burakovsky off that spot. They put Daniel Sprong in there, uh, Mm -hmm. which I think actually really helped the power play one unit, having two one-timer options. Yes. uh, It was another wrinkle the Oilers had to deal with. Uh, And we know how dangerous Daniel Sprong can be in that position. And, and, man, he was having himself a game, too. So, you Mm -hmm. know, when he's feeling it, might as well put him there. And you moved Andre Burakovsky onto the right side, different yep. side, it's, I think more where he played in Colorado, even yep. though he bounced around a lot, uh, on the second power play unit. And that second unit looked amazing. That first power play where he was mm-hmm. there, the Oilers had this whole other dimension to deal with. And and for the first time all preseason, I felt like Andre Burakovsky really looked dangerous mm-hmm. uh, from that spot. And so the fact that they were willing to try something different, that it worked out, uh, Just it's a good sign to see, uh, you know, given a lot of kind of banging their head against the wall last season.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I talked about a little bit with Shane Wright, right? He likes to, uh, based on watching him in junior and everything, it seems like he sees the ice best from the left side, kind of high up on the left side. That's just kind of where he has a good feel because that's naturally where he always wanted to go while playing in Kingston. I think Burakovsky sees the ice better on the right side. I think even like on that set play I just broke down, he got behind he wins the he wins the puck battle, he knows exactly where to go. He's completely wide open. He knows how to get around the defense there and stuff. And we haven't seen that same thing over on the left side. I just think for for, for a lot of players, right, they just kind of have one side they just naturally have a better feel for, um, for whatever reason, whether it's they've played there longer or it's just I don't know. You know how it is is when you're playing, like there's just weird yeah quirks like that that you have so um it is interesting i think uh, i'm looking forward to seeing yeah what they what they do and and what things look like once we get to the regular season now um yeah uh last thing to talk about kind of from this game just because like discord was really talking about this we had lots of uh discussions going on in the discord about the kraken having kind of two players net front for a lot of this game um and I don't know that it was so much that they had two people net front like trying to screen the goalie or or anything, but I think it was just kind of a byproduct of them wanting to condense the offensive zone into that little box within the slot there. And when you do that, there's just less overall room. So you kind of have one person who's kind of more to the side of the net, able to take things you know, back around to the backside of the net, and then one person there still screening the goalie. I don't know if you want to talk about this one a little bit because I feel like I've talked through most of this already.
1: Yeah, I know it's it's something that we've definitely talked about. Um, I, I think it's it's something that. Like I've seen, I guess, you know, at training camp, as far as the different setups, it's it's looked more conventional in what I've seen in, in practice and when they're working on it, where really they're going to have have a guy, you know, kind of net front one, a little bit to the side, one behind to go retrieve the puck um, as far as like what they've been working on and, and kind of setting up, because we've seen a lot of the stuff translate into the games where it's, mm-hmm. it's what they're working on. And I just I, I haven't really seen, you know, the two guys net front as part of the plan.
0: Yeah, so we'll we'll it's kind of something to keep an eye on, uh, moving forward and and just kind of seeing what they're what they're going with. Um, I did think uh, I'm trying to remember which goal it is. It, I think it, it's the McCann power play goal. I think where Yanni Gord is the guy net front who screens Campbell and he can't see it, and it's with that beautiful moving screen. He times it so perfectly. He just mm-hmm. jumps like like right as McCann's yeah. about to release. Gord just jumps right in front and across Campbell's face and you just, you just can't see it at all. And it's just, that's, that's again, what you want to see. Get the moving screens in there. Don't just kind of plant yourself and then pay attention to what's going on on the back end. Like think about the goalie a little bit. I hate this on power plays. They'll just stick somebody up front and he's just kind of in front and he just stands there and he's watching what his team's doing. Meanwhile, the goalie has just found the the, the right spot to look around him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but if you're just gonna if you're able to read and know what your team is doing, so you 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 know, Gord knows the telltale signs of when McCann is gonna shoot. He's watching him training camp and practice every day, right? So he sees that yep. McCann's getting ready to take a shot. What does Gord do? He just dives across Campbell's face. Can't can't see the release, can't get a track on that puck, and what do you know? Good things happen. So, again, it's another thing. If you look at a highlight, go watch the highlight of that McCann goal. Watch what Yanni Gord's do in net front. That's the kind of stuff uh, I'd like to see the Kraken do a little bit more. Not just on the power play, but just in general, have the net front guys do.
1: Yeah, moving screens are so hard to combat as a goalie. If you mm-hmm. if you time it right, yes, it can be one of the most difficult things.
0: Yes, and Yanni Gord certainly seems to have that timing down. All right, we're, gosh, halfway through this podcast already. I think we got to get into the roster stuff, though. We had our final cuts, waivers, injury news, all of that stuff. So, RJ, why don't you go ahead and fill us in on what this finalized roster is looking like?
1: That's right. So, today is, is kind of the deadline with, with everything in the start of the season. So, the Kraken need to have uh, their, their final roster ready to go this afternoon. And it appears they've made their final roster cuts uh, over the last couple days. Uh, we'll start with, I mean, let's see, because because last week we had, um, I think, what, six more cuts that they yes. had to make when we when we addressed it last week. Um, so let me let me pull this up here. Um, well, I'll start with the good news. Joey Decord made yes. it. <laughs> yes, okay, we'll start with the most important part. Yes, Joey Decord made it through waivers. I mean, that was one of the, the big question marks that we had is, is he going to make it? I, I know we were all kind of holding our breath for the last 24 hours and he did make it through waivers um and will be assigned to the Coachella Valley Firebirds great news for the Kraken not just because you keep Joey in the organization which is something we all wanted to see uh but because if he was claimed they'd need to go out and get another goalie because they just wouldn't have a starter at the AHL level so uh that is huge for the Kraken I I mean Dylan how surprised are you that he made it through
0: I'm not too surprised, especially after we lost Helberg. I think that was like, what are the odds you're going to lose two goaltenders? Um, and it also felt like at that point, that earlier waiver move is kind of the time where if you felt shaky about your goaltender, you were going to be a little bit more active as far as looking around because you'd want to get that person in, maybe get them a preseason game if possible with your team and organization, but certainly get them as many reps in practice with everybody. Uh as possible. I don't know that you'd want to do that, you know, a day or two before the season starts. So I think it was, it was a little bit of a safer, just window to wave Decord, but also, I mean, Decord has, has looked shaky and any time and at any points where other teams would have seen him, he hasn't looked his best. Right. And so yep. I think that that opened things up, uh, also for him to, to pass through and clear for them. And also being
1: 26, I think that's something teams yep. start to look at now, where what are the odds that he's going to get a whole lot better? At other guys on the on the uh, waivers either have more NHL experience or are younger, and you think maybe have higher upside. So you know, I, I'm not too surprised to see it at the end of the day. I, it could have gone either way for me, just given what teams
0: need. But I was going to say, are you saying teams don't think Michael Bunting's grow on trees, RJ? <laughs> yeah i guess uh
1: i guess maybe they don't think that are you uh, saying that's an outlier <laughs> <laughs> no but um hey you never know when the next one will be and when the next michael bunting will be a
0: net I don't yeah know. exactly um okay so so joey decor makes it through everything's set there um what about the rest of the moves all right, so we'll we'll start. I guess we'll go net out here. Uh, we'll go to the
1: defense. And uh, this one was a little bit surprising. So, um, well, w- w- had we covered Riker Evans being set down last podcast? I don't remember. No, he hadn't
0: yet. But, you know, you okay. had made the argument of it makes the most sense because he's not, you don't have to worry about him. That's right. Getting claims right. and stuff. Yeah.
1: And they did send him down. Yeah. Again, it made the most sense.
0: Gets more playing uh, but, time down there, too. It's, yeah. it's, it's all good. Yeah.
1: So, then that left the battle for the seventh defenseman. Cause you knew you had to mm-hmm. cut one more defenseman between Michael Kempney and kale flurry. Mm-hmm. And I think last week I mentioned, I thought Kempney would be the guy to stay up. It looked like he was playing ahead of flurry before he got injured. Uh, and he's healthy again. I mean, he was wearing a white Jersey shed, the non-contact Jersey in practice. He seemed good to go, uh, but he was waived the other day. And so sent down to Coachella Valley and kale flurry has won the seventh D job. I mean, we talked about Kale Flurry a lot last season, Dylan. I know yeah. you weren't really the most thrilled with his play. You've seen him for some preseason games. He didn't play it. Did he, he, he didn't play in the Oilers game? No. Did he Le- play in the Flames game? He did play in the Flames game, but we didn't really get to watch a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, has have you changed your mind on him at all? Have you seen anything that would suggest that uh, I don't know, that, that he'd be a good guy to have yeah. in the lineup right now?
0: Um, not really, but that's just because I haven't seen him. Like, almost all the preseason games I've gotten, like, the full game of, he hasn't been in. So, I I just have, you know, and I haven't been up there to see him through camp and stuff. So, obviously, something's going on. Now, I I wasn't as confident about Kempney. I had seen Kempney in, like, one and a half preseason games. And I wasn't too thrilled with what I saw. And certainly, I felt like the deep pairings involving him were the ones that looked the most panicky of all of the, the Kraken D pairings through the preseason. So I kind of understand the idea of, of moving company. I, I saw it there with him. Um so I all I can assume is that yeah Flurry is is proving something to them. The coaching staff is seeing something. They they're obviously confident in him uh to keep him up. Either that or they were just Felt like they were more likely to lose him if they waived him, maybe, and they didn't want to do that. But I I don't know that this team trying to have the bounce back season that they're looking to have would make roster decisions like that. I think they would keep who they really feel is the best player.
1: Agreed. And I, I do think that's what they've done. I, and yeah, they must see something with Kale Flurry. I, I haven't seen anything that's really stood out to me, kind of looked more of the same from last season. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on him if he gets mm-hmm. in any games and uh, yeah, see what he's able to do. Uh, but you know, congrats on, on winning that seventh D e job. That's that's big for his yes. uh, for his career at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, we'll we'll see what happens too. I could see this being a situation where depending on how long everybody stays healthy because unfortunately in hockey injuries are a when not an if. Uh depending on how long everybody stays healthy, if you know, you don't lose a defenseman until late December or something, Riker Evans might be ready, right? If he's like lighting the AHL on fire, it might be one of those situations where you call him up at that point to fill in instead of Instead of relying on a kill flurry, so um, yeah, it'll just kind of be interesting to see what what the plan is. Yeah,
1: I, I could definitely see that with Riker Evans. All
0: right, so moving on to the
1: forwards, uh, the, the probably the most predictable cut uh, that we saw was was the first one made, and that's Alexander True, yeah, uh, was sent down to Coachella Valley, so I no need to cover that a ton, but then it got a little interesting, uh, because then you've got guys like Donato, Donskoy, Sprong, Hayden, yep. uh, and you know as as we maybe thought john hayden was one of the guys to go um i yeah i know he was waived yesterday so we don't know if he's going to get claimed or not we'll know that in about an hour and a half uh from recording this uh but yeah i dylan what are the odds you think he gets claimed because he had an impressive preseason we we know what he's kind of here to do and it's something that teams do value
0: yeah it is i don't know um I'm trying to think, like, do they announce when someone's claimed, like, the moment they're claimed? Or does it all come through like we just know he didn't pass waivers? Because I, I would think... Basically, all the news comes out by, like, 11.05 to
1: 11.10. And they just say, you know, yeah. talk about who was claimed Cause so, within if, the first five minutes.
0: I, I was going to say, because if he was claimed, it, it would have happened yesterday. Um, And I, I just got to think that there is a team out there that has a depth forward spot open that looked at him and said, yes, I'm... I'm Mr. Old School Hockey, and I value all of these things above other things, and I want him on my team. John Tortorella. Yeah,
1: no, I. You know what? You think so? You think Lou <laughs> Lamorello is gonna is gonna bring him in and sign him to an extension, three years, three mil per. Yeah, or is that what you're saying.
0: Yeah, or the Flyers will bring him in. Torts will bring him in. I don't know. There's there's people out there that I could see bringing him in. Yeah, I I, I could see that too. Let's Vancouver. let's hope
1: he gets. Yeah.
0: Right, like they one. they got to see it firsthand, so I could see that happening.
1: <laughs> That's true. So I mean, let's hope he gets through waivers, but uh, I, I'm not necessarily counting on that one. Just unfortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, had too good of a preseason, yeah. I think. Um, so you know, we'll and, see what ends up there. And you know uh, what,
0: if he if 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 he doesn't clear or he does clear, feel free to you know comment on this uh, on YouTube, comment on the Twitter post, letting us know, you know. How, yes. how happy we all are
1: yeah share your celebrations or, or dismay whichever it, it ended up being but let us know in the comments um but what that means is that daniel sprong at least for mm-hmm. now appears to have made the roster and And let us know how happy you are about that everyone yeah. in the comments because i know uh, there's been a lot of daniel sprong support really since he got to seattle and then of course coming into camp on a pto and then earning a contract and then it appears making the team mm-hmm. to start I mean what a preseason what a training camp for Daniel Sprong kind of really proved something here
0: yeah I mean he's just doing nothing but scoring goals which at the end of the day it's kind of what you need to do to win games so uh yeah he totally played himself into it we had you know our, our first big uh deep dive moment uh, of the season right where he signed uh what like <laughs> right after we released last week's podcast so so yeah you know we, we should have known then that it was happening but but yes then to finally make the roster and I think that that came down to just that last game against Edmonton too and putting him on the power play yeah and seeing him on that second year power play like you were talking about earlier I think that's what sealed the deal for him
1: yeah agreed uh, and and hearing ha- the way that Haxtell talked about Sprong kind of all through training camp in the preseason, where it was almost these levels, like you kind of had to earn it and keep being this yeah. good. Like, yeah, he's at a good start. He's got to keep being this good. Because yep. really, if he if he slipped at all, had one bad game, I think you know, he he was done. He was uh, put on waivers and, and sent to Coachella Valley, and he just didn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a tough situation to be in, but he handled it really well, and, and it looks like he's made the roster. So let's take a look at this overall, because... Uh, You may notice if you kind of look at it all here, all the names, we have 24 and there is a roster limit of 23. Yeah. Uh, And the reason that they're able to do that is because unfortunately the Kraken have a couple injuries uh, that they're dealing with. Uh, And I guess we'll talk about the one that happened first and that's Jonas Donskoy. He's been injured for a few games now. Um, I don't remember if it was before last podcast, but Uh, Donskoy was injured. No, we did talk. It was because we talked about kind of the carnage of that, that Vancouver game and how difficult that was. Um, so Jonas Donskoy has been injured. According to the team roster on the NHL media site, he's been placed on injured reserve. That's what it looks like to us. Um, there hasn't been an official announcement from the team, but given what the numbers are, somebody has to be, uh, and I, I think it's pretty certain that Donskoy is the guy. Uh, so hopefully he gets better. I mean, this is a tough start for a season that I, I know he wanted to really bounce back mm-hmm. and this is going to make it all the more difficult for him. So, I mean, hopefully he's able to get back soon. We haven't seen him on the ice yet since being injured. Um, he, he's been around in the facility. I've seen him walking around, but, um, has not been on the ice yet.
0: Yeah. It's, it is unfortunate. I think everybody was rooting for him, right? Like we were all rooting for him all through last season. We know the the struggles he had on the ice there. Um, yeah, it just felt like, you know, the off season, had been good to him, you know, the traveling and everything, like he was really active, always around. And um, yeah, it's, it's just not the way any of us, I think, wanted to see things kick off for him. Right. So I think he'll
1: probably go to IR and the other injury situation worth monitoring is a talk about another guy uh, who just did not need this. Jaden Schwartz, uh, who got hurt in the Oilers game, uh, missed the second half of the game um, I think, yeah, last played in the second period. I, I watched the last shift uh, before he stopped playing, and it he didn't really take much contact anywhere. There was one tiny little bump along the boards, if you could even call it that, uh, as far as contact that he took. But then he went to the bench, skating kind of gingerly, uh, was grabbing his kind of inner thigh, groin area, it looked like, uh, and then, you know, went down the tunnel of the locker room. Uh, so he... Uh, <laughs> He's had some injury trouble recently. Yep. It's been one thing or another. Last season, it was a wrist hand type of thing. Uh, it feels like it's always something different. But the fact that he doesn't look like he's going to be placed on IR, that has to be a good sign, mm-hmm. I would think. Because if he was going to be hurt longer term, if, if this was going to be you know, more of a multi-week thing then you could have avoided placing John Hayden on waivers. You wouldn't have to risk that. You right. could have kept him on the roster, uh, and the Kraken elected not to do that. So hopefully that means we'll see Schwartz back sooner rather than later. Um, it didn't look too bad. You never know.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, hopefully it's, uh, it's <laughs> not, not worse than it looked. I, I know. It's, it's, with him, it's just you never know. And it's just, again, just always unfortunate. Uh, how often it seems to crop up for him and, and how often he has to deal with this throughout his career. It's just so unfortunate. Um, but yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, everything's going to be fine and we'll see him back sooner rather than later. But it, it gives good opportunities for, for guys like Donato and Sprong, right? Having those those injuries and got to think they're probably both going to start game one uh, and, and kind of prove that what they can do and where they belong in this overall lineup.
1: Right, right. You're, you're going to need
0: guys to step up. And those are two guys who have shown very much in the past that <laughs> yeah. they can step up. Right. Because, you know, again, we're going to have to have this discussion at some point when Donskoy comes back as far as yep. who's the guy. has got to go. go. Yeah. So I got to think right now everybody's going to be is auditioning to be the guy who stays. And um, with with Schwartz maybe being more of a, you know, slightly banged up scratch rather than a healthy scratch. Uh, that gives both guys opportunities to get in there um, and and see what they can do so uh that's that's kind of it for the roster stuff yeah yeah so lots of exciting stuff there we have our finalized roster um i think just building off of what i just talked about let's go ahead and move into uh kind of predictions for for this team not like full season predictions we've done that before and we've done that other places but like the little things like how do we think this team's gonna kick a, you know, kick off the season? How do we think they're going to look in these games? You know, we got a game two days from now and then a game right after that. How do, how do we think they're going to handle that back to back? captaincy are we gonna see a captain that that kind of story has largely disappeared as training camp has gone on people we've all been focused on other things um but that was certainly one of those big talking points throughout the the off season uh the kraken you know dropped a, a youtube video featuring yanni gord and his family yesterday uh which you know just great to see them kind of giving us some youtube content i think everybody was excited about that but lots of people speculating oh does that mean he's going to be named captain or something I think you and I both don't think that has anything to do with him being named captain. That was clearly, like, this time frame-wise and everything filmed a long time ago, long before training camp and when the team, you know, the players could have gotten together and decided on a captain. So I I don't think that 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 has anything to do do with it. But I I guess let's start there, RJ. Do you have kind of a feel on whether or not we're going to see a captain named? Because they kind of got to do it soon. Right, an announcement of some sort has to be coming soon
1: uh, or, you know, or, or lack thereof. But some clarity uh, has got to be coming before the season starts in just yes. a few days. Uh, so I think we'll know more very soon. But uh, maybe that's what what uh, this podcast makes happen. That They'll have yes. an announcement, uh, you know, right after this one comes out. I, I bet you that's what it'll be but uh as far as the overall captaincy situation it's something we've kind of been monitoring as a storyline of training camp it's something i've been you know watching for and at the start of training camp we asked dave haxtell about it and he said look i'm i'm comfortable with the with the four alternates that we have you know i we haven't even really talked or talked about it very much you know it's not even a thing that's on our minds right now we've got work to do basically mm-hmm. was his answer uh and there, there hasn't been a whole lot of development since I think he and the players must be pleased with how that the questioning has kind of gone away yeah. uh, over the preseason. But that's that's good because again, they did have work to do, yes. Uh, and, and they did have things that were honestly more important, uh, than, than the captaincy situation. But I think it's probably something they're going to revisit either you know today, you know, in the coming days. Yesterday, um, it's something that will have to be revisited and, and something that will be asked about, but think we did kind of handicap the captain odds or at least like rank what we thought yeah. was most likely to happen at the start of training camp and i will say my opinion on that has actually changed uh, i thought going into camp that yanni gord was the most likely to be named captain that was the most likely outcome and then i don't remember if i said next was either maddie benears or no captain but i think no captain for me has moved up to the top of the list as far as what's most likely. Um, I think things have been going well. I mean, it's just, it's looked so smooth and everything in the locker Mm -hmm. room. I, I just don't know that you really need to change that or introduce something different into the dynamic. Maybe the players feel differently. Again, it's, it's hard to know, you know, what, what they're feeling kind of behind the scenes. You get a little bit more, you know, with the locker room access and everything, a little bit more of a sense of things, but uh, you know, I just I just don't know that you need to change anything right now. It's not that nobody's stepped up. We've seen great moments of leadership yep. from Yanni Gord, from Matty Beneers, from Jordan Eberle, from so many guys uh, in this training camp and through the preseason. It, it's not even that. It's just that there's been so many and that do you really want to mess with that? So I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome. I'd say bump Yanni Gord down to, you know, number two. Uh, but that's that's just my take on it so far.
0: No, that's that's the feeling I get from here. Right? Like it just it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like something that is a necessity right now for, for this club. Uh I think what Haxwell said at the kind of the beginning of everything still holds true. I think this is a team that just wants to get into the regular season and kind of prove what they can do, work on the stuff that they want to improve on and just focus on that growth. They want to focus on getting better. They want to focus on winning hockey games. I don't think they're really worried about any of this kind of outside distraction stuff. I think they're kind of coming at this as a group, uh, coming at it as a as a unit, as as a team, if you will. And I, I think, <laughs> and I think that naming a captain right now, based on what they've done through the preseason and what they're looking to do here early in the regular season, I don't know that that aligns with all the other messaging we've gotten and all the other feelings we've gotten from them and what it seems like they're trying to do. So I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see a captaincy thing. I think that's something that. That at some point over the course of the regular season might pop up again, where we're going to see an announcement of someone's made captain. But I think they want to see everybody wants to just get to the regular season and focus on that. If if one person ends up kind of coming to the forefront through that process of the regular season and going through, you know, your first losing streak and going through, you know, that first game where you're trying to battle back and come back from a three goal deficit in the third period, right? It's going to be those moments, I think, that are going to signal who this next captain is going to be. I don't think it was going to be anything through training camp. Um, And so I I think, yeah, I don't I don't expect to to hear an announcement, um, but that probably just ensures that, yeah, come, you know, noon, we're going to get one.
1: Yep. (laughs) just like Yanni Gore named captain and look at this video. Yeah, Yeah. no, I'm sure (laughs) knowing how things work, that's
0: probably what's going to happen. But hey, I I wouldn't mind that either. Exactly. Uh, All right. So, so predictions. Um, I I think the Kraken, they look better. This is something, you know, we did that kind of... um, uh, what was it? Hockey DB, right? It, it did the yeah. the Twitter, spaces, Twitter that we spaces, were a part of? Yeah, and one of the questions at the end of that was basically like, "Oh, where do you think the Kraken will finish?" All that kind of stuff. And and some people were certainly higher on the Kraken than than we were. I I am a little higher on this team, having watched them through the through the end of the preseason and seeing what I've seen from them, watching those kind of plays and stuff that I talked about there. I do think that this team has a better shot at the playoffs than I originally thought. I think their their shot at the playoff probably is more around somewhere in between 33 and 25 percent I think they're probably somewhere in there I think that the path to win games for this team and to be a playoff team comes from what we've seen through some of this preseason which is they've they've added just enough offensive talent to score that little bit more and Grubauer is better than he was last year and so all those one goal games you got to think at least half of them can now go the other way and that puts you on the playoff bubble for sure. I think if, if you just get a little hot, things get going a little good. Maddie stays playing at a goal-per-game pace for a while, right? Um, I, I, I don't know. I can I, All of a sudden, I can see it. I couldn't see it before. I could not see a path to the playoffs for this team. I can see it now. And it's going to be getting solid goaltending from Grubauer and the offense just having more chances than they had last year.
1: I think that's fair. Uh, and Philip Grubauer, that's the number one thing for mm-hmm. me, uh, because it just beyond the results in the games on the ice, because he's been great during the during the preseason. Yes. I mean, forget that, you know, forget that error playing the puck. That's not going to happen <laughs> very often. Uh, but he's been just dialed in and also just the different. don't know just the different atmosphere the different mood the different vibe call it what you want yeah of all the goalies with the new goalie coach steve briere i mean it is night and day from last season uh and if ever there was you know kind of just foreshadowing for a real bounce back year in net it's it's everything that we're seeing through training camp especially up close um you know so i could see that happening and it's, it's going to be, like we talked about in our Pacific Division preview, it's going to be kind of a weird division with all the Flames turnover, with the Canucks, who knows what mm-hmm. they're doing. There's just a lot of ifs, uh, the amount of times we said question marks uh, in the Pacific Division preview. And it's, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, maybe you can thrive in the chaos. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see the path. And I think, you know, 25 to 33%, that's fair. I, I remember looking up since uh, the, in the salary cap era, I think it was about 20% of teams who finished in the bottom three of the standings the previous year went on to make the playoffs the next year. And, of course, that includes some teams that are just in multi-year rebuilds that are not even attempting to make the playoffs. Uh, And it's about 20%. So um, given that the Kraken actively improved, uh, there's no question they're a better team now. Uh, I I think that's pretty fair odds-wise.
0: Yeah, and look, there there are still cracks, right? Playing the Flames and the Oilers like at at basically full strength, it showed we're not as good as those teams at the top of the division. We're not, but you know what? It, certainly in that Oilers game, we can hang with them, and that means we'll be better against the teams that aren't the elite teams in the division and around the NHL. So that's where I'm I'm really excited for things. I think the Kraken can can kick the season off pretty good on, uh, with this little road trip down here. To me, in, in Southern California, I, I think probably they split it, personally. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I'm feeling. That's what I was
1: going to say. I think so.
0: But I think we're going to see a good opening night performance from them. I, I I just don't see the Ducks really being like this team that's going to like pull off an upset day one. Right. I, I'm not saying I, I feel like the Krakener probably
1: would win that first game. I think it'll be really close. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, do I stick with my, my bold prediction of Martin Jones shutout in L.A. on that second game? Because um he's he's really good it's about to say staple setter uh, screw it staple setter <laughs> slash crypto.com arena whatever whatever yeah. you want to call it he is good there mm-hmm. he's dialed in there I, i'm gonna that's my bold prediction as martin jones shut out in the second
0: game that is bolder than my buffalo wild wings hot sauce rj that is <laughs> that is very bold. That's bold yes i don't know that i'm willing to go to that level uh quite yet i th- i think um, the Kings are a, a pretty well-oiled machine that's going to be healthy at that point. They'll have a game against Vegas under their belt. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think the Kraken might struggle in that one, uh, depending on how the Kings want to play against them. If the Kings want to kind of turn it into uh, a grinded out kind of affair... Kraken could have a shot because those are just always one goal games and that, you know, one bounce can determine it. Uh, but if the Kings with, you know, Kevin Fiala and stuff, they want to go like high flying offense. Hey, we're no Dustin Brown's no, you know, we're not having to carry him <laughs> going up and down the ice anymore in the transition game. Um, if, if they decide to do something like that, I could see that catching the the Kraken a little by surprise especially on the second day of a back-to-back so uh that's 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 true it
1: is the second half of a back-to-back you will be tired you know the dustin brown statue of a man is outside the arena not on
0: the ice yes so (laughs) maybe that'll help yeah so uh but I'm i'm really looking forward to that one and then it's it's the home opener vegas saturday oh my gosh rj i'm so excited like I'm, ex- I mean, I'm excited to see the Kraken down here, get to see them live, certainly for that Ducks game, anyway. I'm, I'm really happy about all that stuff, but oh my gosh, I want to see them against this Vegas Golden Knights team, and I want to see, um, as I try to get the focus back on my camera, uh, and I really just want to see them at Climate Pledge Arena and see Climate Pledge Arena back at full strength, because right? it's just yes. awesome.
1: Yeah, these preseason games that were even you know about half full too, how loud those got, I. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, man. When, it, when it's rocking uh, for that home opener, everyone's going to be pumped and for their first shot at, at beating the Vegas Golden Knights, which just needs to happen.
0: Yes, uh, I. You know, I, again, it's going to be tough for them because that's going to be their third game in four days. So that's less than ideal. Uh, But I think that that a little bit of what we saw from them in this Oilers game, they could use in Vegas. If you pressure Eichel, uh, Mark Stone, you get them frustrated at their inability to just leave their own zone cleanly. You send two guys on that four check. I think that's the way to play them, especially this Vegas team that relies on offense coming from their blue line as much as they do in Petrangelo and Theodore. Uh, Get those forwards frustrated and stuff. I don't think you have to worry about getting totally burned with speed going back the other way from them. There are some teams I wouldn't try that against, (laughs) but I think, I think you could do it against Vegas and uh, that, that would be fun of Vegas. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That'll be fun to see. So really excited for it. Obviously the regular season's almost here. Going to let you get your day started. RJ, you got busy stuff to do, including probably tell us who the captain's going to be in about an hour and a half. So I'll let you go do that. (laughs) Yeah. Looking forward to that. Everyone. I mean, Pay attention on Twitter. That's where you're going to
1: see it first uh, if there is an announcement there. So, yeah, uh, follow along with us there.
0: Yes. Um, as, as always, uh, you know, like like the video if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment, all that good stuff. And uh, really just, just get ready for hockey, everybody, because it's here and it's glorious. And we'll see you all next time.